Greetings, ladies and mendigants, and welcome to this latest episode of Tales from Outer Space. Taken from the subreddit HFY. The links to all the stories will be down below, and as always, I hope that you enjoy. And if you do, please consider subscribing. Story number one. Joining a human crew. Written by Entangled Bottles. Chloranx didn't get what the big deal about humans was all about. They were far from the strongest, fastest, fiercest, or smartest warriors around. Yet the galaxy was above with their exploits. Thus, Chloranx hadn't hesitated when offered a mercenary job on a human outfit, and had signed up eager to prove the Surmians were much tougher than humans could ever be. Still, he had spent an extra time to properly polish his armor, and when he entered the human ship, he walked with as much pride and dignity as he could muster. Ah, you must be Corlanx, our new explosives guy. I'm Captain James Kobayashi. Happy to have you on board. You should be. Ha, good to hear your confidence, but sure you can rack it up. We do take the harder missions than most outfits our size. Ah, it'll be no trouble. I've been a mercenary since before you were born, and will still be in my prime when you retire. It'll take more than a few tough missions to scare me. Grand, grand. We've been having trouble replacing Mickey, our old demolitions expert. But the time we've had to head up to port before schedule because of a new hire couldn't keep up with our pace. Was thinking of making a trip back to Seoul if we didn't find someone to stick around soon. Ha, <laughs> there'll be no need for that. So long as you keep paying me. That's what I like to hear. Now get your stuff sorted and get out with the rest of the crew and rest up. We'll be touching ground for a job in 11 hours. Aye, aye, Captain. The first mission went off without a hitch. In fact, Corlanks didn't just hold his own, but excelled. The human seemed impressed by his performance, but he's still skeptical. He'd show them in time, but just how large a difference was between him and them. Ten hours, and three missions later, Corlanx walked into his cabin and sighed a sigh of relief as he sat down at his bed. Gods above, the captain ran his men hard. Corlanx could appreciate that, but he seemed to overdo it a bit. Still, nothing he couldn't handle. One week, and thirty-seven missions later, Corlanx shambled into his cabin and collapsed on his bed. Demons! The humans were goddamn demons! For two days he'd outperformed them. By the fourth day he was slowing them down slightly. By the sixth he was struggling to do his job, while the humans hardly seemed worse for wear. Now, on the eighth day, he'd barely been managing to complete two missions, after which the humans disappointedly announced that they'd do the rest of the day's missions without him, and head back to port tomorrow. Corlanx had protested, said that if he could just simply rest for the time it would take to head to port, he could go another round. The humans had looked skeptically at each other, sighed, and the captain told him to come to his office. Still insistent on not giving up, Corlanx had shambled his way there and sat down heavily on the offered chair. Seeming somewhat reluctant and with a look of pity about him, the captain handed him a data pad. On it was an excerpt from the ship's manifest, from two months ago, when they'd still had all human crew, Corlanx looked at the captain skeptical, but the captain still, with that pitiful look in his eyes, urged him to read through it. Corlanx almost broke down right there. Nine! Nine! Back when his job was done by a human, they'd averaged nine 
jobs a day. He'd been sure that they were running double pace and hazing ritual, but no, far from it. They'd been running at a half pace so that he could keep up. So I'm sorry, Corlanx, the human captain said. I wish that we could keep you on, but we just can't afford it. My crew, they all need the money. It's why we run this line of work. At half pace, we might manage, but any less than that, long term, it's just not viable. Wish we could just take on three of you all, but the truth of the matter is the ship can't fit any more crew, and I can't afford a bigger one, especially since this one is already pushing the limits of special scout class. I'd have to get certified for a light cruiser to upgrade, and, well, that'll cost almost as much as a new ship, and with all the retrofitting we had to do on this piece to get it serving our needs, well, engines aside, I'd be lucky to get more than a scrap price, though she's worth her weight in a hundred times over. It's just not viable. Unable to muster a proper response, Cole Lang had muttered, Thank you for your time, Captain, and shambled out of the office and over to his bunk. Two days later, an exhausted Corlang stepped out of the ship. After another three days of resting, he shambled into one of the station's many bars, eventually loudly and drunkly joining the discussions about humans. No, 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 you guys don't get it. Humans aren't stronger than the Cerulean, smarter than the Grey, or better shot than a Spark. I've served with some of them recently, and I firmly have to say that I'm both stronger and faster and better shot than most of them. However... In one month, they completed more missions than most outfits do in a year. Even Hondarian death squads would be hard-pressed to match their rate, even for a mere week. Humans are the scariest bunch I've ever come across. No, not because they work fast or because they're smart, but because they work hard. Even a grey could outpace them in an hour or two, but beyond that, I barely lasted a week at half pace, and I'm a serene elite and their normal pace I'd have to last two days, and they kept that pace all year, bar a few religious holidays. And the scariest thing, that's not even that special, harder than most humans work, sure, but did you know that they back on Earth, a normal job schedule is eight hours a day, and that back in the day, there used to be poor people that worked twice that, just to afford living they're poor, then low caste, are capable of working every single waking hour of their life. None of our legends can do that. That is why humans are terrifying. They just don't stop. End of story number one. Story number two. The Sound of Distant Guns, written by Commissar Cactus. The year is 2170, and the war is almost two years old. A letter comes today. There is only one sender that uses physical letters anymore, and only two reasons why people get letters from their government these days. You'll be going very far away, to camps and fields under strange skies. You may not ever see the ones you love. You whisper a prayer to what's above. You try and not squirm as your hair is shaved to almost nothing. You stand in line for hours on end, receiving your fatigues. It'll be two weeks before you even touch a rifle. The instructors give you barely any sleep. You take your rest wherever you can get it. Two months later, you're being deployed. The troop ships are cramped, a low ceiling. Your sleep in the pod and barely looks big enough to fit a large dog. They drill you even more during these days of travel. 
You take a shuttle ride down to the latest front, a planet called Starkezia. You are one enlisted man amongst almost three million on this planet alone. This is the army. The first thing you hear is the sound of distant guns firing as the transport truck brings your platoon to the trench lines. You have a lot of digging to do, and the pounding of heavy artillery accompanies your work. You see your first alien, and you pull the trigger three times. No idea if you hit the damn thing, but uh, there's always more behind it. You keep firing until the sergeant tells you to stop. Your first battle is over. The big guns still fire. Even a kilometer behind you, they rattle the air. The campaign goes on for months. You watch as a man's jaw gets shot out, his tongue hanging numb and limp out of the plasma-charred wreck of his flesh. You watch as the shell-shocked tank driver tries to retrieve his right leg from the inside of a burning vehicle, comrades pulling him away. You argue while on watch duty about whether that alien leaning on the wire is dead already or just bleeding out quietly. You fight many more battles. You fall asleep to the sound of distant guns. The year is now 2174, and the war is still going badly. You take some solace in the fact that there have been no vast trench lines since Clarkasia. You ride in an armored personnel carrier now, and you stare at the inside of the vehicle for hours, checking your rifle over and over between naps. You hear the artillery guns firing. The 156s are really going at it now. The enemy responds with their own big guns, and you just listen to the armored carrier rides towards the sound of shelling. You don't get panicked in combat now. You just shoot and follow orders. You try and stay alive and kill the damn slaving aliens before they can get you. So far, it's worked. Half the squad aren't the same soldiers you started with the war, but you managed to stay alive into the seventh year of the war. You've only seen your family in person twice, in the breaks between campaigns that high command allowed. So the troops didn't go insane. They write to you every week. Ordinary messages of their daily lives and their worries about you and let you remember what it is like to not be at war. Your better half sends you letters too, almost every day, and you respond. You can only get them in big monthly chunks when the courier ships come, and you save them all and read them one message a day. You keep the backup storage chip in a pocket next to your heart. There's no way it could stop a gunshot, but it keeps you closer together than apart. You think of them when you have doubts. You think about what would happen to them if the enemy got to your home planet. Those thoughts are what drive the rifle stock into your shoulder when the alien warriors crest the hill. You sleep in a foxhole using a shrapnel coat as a blanket. And the cannon fire thunders on. The year is 2176 and the war is going better. You barely recognize anything on this planet. The buildings, the rows of fields, none of it is human. The shell craters are universal, though. You recognize bombardment everywhere. There are people, too, alien ones. They run and hide, mostly, but you hear from your comrades that they can't be trusted. You've always known to sleep with your rifle. Now you keep a bayonet in your hand, too. You storm buildings, farmhouses, transit tunnels, anything that the lieutenant orders. You're a sergeant now, and with your own squad, eleven others to keep alive. You manage to go through the battle, after battle, with only a few casualties. Others aren't so lucky. 
You remember the scorched stump of the end of the gunner's arm, the whimpers of so many dying men. You just try to endure it. That's always been your strength, the strength of every human. The enemy tires, the enemy collapses, the enemy falls over and dies. Not you. That's why you know you'll win this war. You see the org troopers, the super soldiers, the echo class, whatever name you feel like calling them today. They've been more active in these last few months. Single squads spearheading assaults for entire mechanized battalions. You've mopped up after their fights a couple times. It is interesting to see what a shot pistol does to an alien nobleman from two meters away. You've gotten better too. Mindlessly shooting is for fresh conscripts and you're a sergeant. You manage the squad's two fire teams constantly, and you make sure the tech trooper finds threats with the micro-drones before the threat finds you. You see obstacles demolished, tanks wrecked, and artillery called in, all in the pursuit of victory, in the pursuit of an end of the killing. The locals are a mixed bag, citizens are unpleasant if not hostile, serfs are just apathetic, but the slaves are often partisan allies, good ones too. One time you never would have considered saying that about an alien. Things change. The local aliens don't seem like seeing their government change in the city's shell, though. And you keep a close watch when the squad has to bunk down for the night in a housing block with a few dozen serfs and citizens. You finish reading today's letter from home, grip your rifle and blade tight, and fall asleep to the sound of the big guns pounding. The year... It's 2184. People say the war ended years ago. You have a family of your own now, and you've never touched a rifle outside of the bi-weekly militia meetings. You have now have a bed, not a foxhole or a dugout. It's supposed to be peace times. You still fall asleep hearing the sounds of the distant guns. End of story number two. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed. If you did, please consider supporting the author from the link down below. Otherwise, if you wish to support this channel, there are numerous ways to do so, like liking, subscribing, and possibly even becoming a patron. Otherwise, the easiest way would be to share. And until the next video, I hope that you all have a good one, and I'll see you then. Cheers.